Hello and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, a podcast that seeks the answer to the question of what are we even doing here from a biblical perspective. We are part of the Christian Podcast Community. You can check out this and many other great podcasts at christianpodcastcommunity.org. My name is Daryl and the word of God says from Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that is the word of God. What a great verse there. There's so much in that verse that we see the resurrected Jesus giving marching orders to his disciples telling them and assuring them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And they are to go and teach and make disciples, baptizing them in that name of the Father and the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit, that triune God. And my guest today takes that commission seriously. He He's a church planter. He's been my friend for a while. I've known him for a while through, through the originally the Christian podcast community. And then on Facebook, he's not so active. I don't see him a lot on Twitter. So you you might not be, um, all my, my Twitter friends and followers, you might not be familiar with this guy. I know a lot of times I have guests on that you're familiar with, but you should get familiar with him. Well, maybe you do know him. His name's James White, you know? So you, wait, 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 not that James White. He knew that joke was coming. It's James D. White. He's a better James White, I think, because he's, he just is. So, so, so. Pastor James, how are you doing this fine evening? Well, man, I'll first and foremost say that I certainly have more hair on my head <laughs> than the other James White. That is true. Um, and he is much smarter than I am. Um, and, but anyway, I am doing well. Daryl, thanks for having me on here. Uh, we do know each other originally from the Christian podcast community. I had a podcast on there, um, really not just on there, but before I joined the community, probably for about a three-year span. And then I had a bunch of kids all at one time and then <laughs> yep. decided not the time to podcast anymore. And uh, then soon after that, I started the endeavors of planting a church and um, everything that comes with that. And so obviously uh, it was God's sovereign uh, plan for me to not podcast anymore, though I miss it a lot. Many conversations with my wife so often is, hey, I should start podcasting again. And then, you know, the philosophy I have in life now is anytime I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so podcasting is not something that I could regularly do, but I love when I get to be guests on others, even though I am not named or important. But anyway. <laughs> this is actually the second time you've been on this podcast because years ago, you were on, I think my wife was actually on that episode when she was recording with me. And I believe we talked about worship. This, we did. This was like totally, I think, pre, pre-COVID, like yeah. 2019, maybe. I don't know. But listeners, you can go and check out the archives the in the Wayback Machine of the old podcast before I had this nice mic. So it might not sound as, as good, but uh, but it, it was a good episode, a fun episode. So for, for our listeners that aren't as familiar with you, just you know, talk a little bit of briefly briefly about yourself you know whatever you want to share you know maybe where you're from and, and maybe a brief testimony and maybe a little about your family whatever you feel like sharing with the with the listeners yeah so first i would say it's very interesting that i was on the previous podcast about worship 
since I do not play an instrument nor sing. Um, but our focus, I think, was the role of the pastor in worship. So uh, I would encourage people to go back and listen to it. And then I may even go back and listen to it myself. Um, but yeah, so my name is James White. I originally am from Alabama and I have moved a whopping like 40 miles up the road and now live in Mississippi. And so, um, I am a family of six, uh, soon to be seven. And, uh, our youngest child will be born in August, the end of August. And we have, um, four kids that are currently uh, named. Our fifth is not yet to be named. Um, I have one that is 14, one that is nine, eight, and three. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, I quit podcasting because we, our three-year-old was born uh, of January of 19. And then we started the process of introducing in uh, our big three to our family and adopting them in the September of that same year. So my wife and I were married for five years. And then after five years of marriage, we went from no kids to four kids within a year span. Um, and I magically became the father of a 11 year old, uh, six and seven year old and a newborn. And really what it boiled down to with podcasting and other things is because like me and you've talked about it, you're just now starting your time at Westminster. And I really would love to pursue a doctorate somewhere. Uh, so I can be the Dr. James White and like <laughs> the other one. Um, maybe it'd be an accredited seminary, but anyway, so, um, but. When I was at that point in my life, after I finished seminary up in May of last year, my wife and I were just discussing things. And we were like, you know, I've got six good years with my oldest. Um, and so do I want to spend that time for her and the others uh, doing seminary work or doing, um, you know, podcasting, whatever the case may be. So that's why we stepped away from that. Now, I do have a beautiful wife named Sarah. And we will be married for nine years in September. And um, as a testimony, uh, I will say I grew up in the church. I was not perfect by any means. Was saved at a very young age. Um, was probably questionable. Um, I was probably eight years old in that year. And so probably questionable if I should have been baptized and all of those things. Not sure if I would practice that myself. Uh, but God, uh, in his providence, um, allowed me to continue in that same church, uh, throughout that stage of my life. And then when I was about 17 years old is when I would say that I became very serious about my faith, though I had the appearance of godliness, but the lack thereof, uh, in between eight and 17, especially in the high school years. And at that point in my life, I became serious about my faith. We had someone pour into me in an unofficial fashion, if that makes any sense, um, and really begin to grow uh, spiritually. Then soon into college, felt the call to ministry and got the opportunity to serve at that same church as a youth pastor, which was an idiotic move on the staff's decision uh, at that church, because at that point, I did not know how to read my Bible. Um, I went, started online, took hermeneutics my first semester and realized how dumb I truly was when it came to biblical things and learned how to read the Bible. Then obviously from there, learned how to 
study scripture and teach scripture in a correct manner. Uh, but I am thankful for that time as well as the time um, after when I got to serve under the guy that poured into me. Uh, now, I would differ from both of those churches theologically as a good Reformed Baptist that I am. And those are not Reformed Baptist churches whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's okay. Uh, God teaches us and grows us all differently. And I'm thankful for the way he has brought me to himself uh, and then invited me to come alongside him in redeeming and saving other people. Amen. And now you're in the process or you, you've already planted a church. And uh, where, where's the church located again? We're in Columbus, Mississippi. Um, you, many of you listeners will have no idea where that's at, and that's okay. Uh, Columbus, Mississippi, if you're a, a football fan, not, not professional, but college football fan, hmm. um, it's kind of in between the University of Alabama and the uh, Mississippi State University. And so um, it's a little not a little town, but in comparison to other towns, it is little. Um, and, you know, we're, we planted there specifically uh, because there is an Air Force base there in Columbus that is a training facility for pilots. And there's about 2,500 individuals that live there on base, uh, additional to that of the people that make up the Columbus. And we commonly refer to the area as the Golden Triangle area which is the surrounding uh, counties. And so uh, that make up that general location. What got you into this church plant? Like, did, did you feel a call? Is this something you always wanted to do is planting churches or it's just something that, that kind of happened by the Lord's providence? Well, um, much of it was, it began when I um, was way too young, except the, call to be a pastor at a church uh, about 40 miles from my hometown in in a different direction 40 miles from where I currently live and it was a church that had been planted five years before I became the pastor of the church and it was not planted well me and the planter original planter of the church had had this conversation many of times and so he's not going to listen to this but if he wants to listen to it he's not going to be surprised by me saying that um, and in that process, I technically replanted the church uh, because it had been more than five years old and went through our state association, went through training and all of those things. And um, But the issue was, as I was pastoring this church for five years, there were some, um, there were some specific things that I hold hard fast to that I knew this church would not follow suit of. Um, one's very specific thing, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a reformed Baptist. I knew that would have been a contrary thing for these people. Um, and then also elder led, um, leadership within a church, which I believe is crucial for a church's growth. Uh, and then outside of that, the town that it's in is a, uh, it's just an old town. It's, um, it's a town that's not on the way to anything. So it's kind of stuck in its hole by itself. And so therefore, it's not um, really open to new things and new opportunities to reach individuals. And um, so there was a mindset that had already been established by the time I got there, sort of the process of replanting that were just some barriers that would not be 
um, worth overcoming because in the end of it all, I think it would have been off-putting to the people, but not only to them, but the people in the community. So um, what, what my wife and I had prayed through for about a year before we left was, were we the people that God wanted to lead these changes in, or would should, should we be somewhere else? Um, and that's where the same time frame of us having our kids and starting the adoption of our uh, of our big three happened. And so financially and just support systems and just operationally what goes into planting and replanting a church, it wasn't something we could maintain. And so uh, I had a good individual, a good friend of mine that was a pastor of a church in a neighboring uh, city that was in the process of looking for a part-time uh, youth pastor. And I'm not a youth pastor. I'm an ex- expositional preacher. Mm-hmm. And so I laid down what my ministry would look like at, this, at his church as a youth pastor. And he was down for it. And I went and I preached a sermon to this church from Deuteronomy saying, look, I'm not going to be the primary disciple maker of your kids. And that is your job as parents. And I will be here to partner with you. Uh, but I'm not going to be that. And they were willing enough to hire me. And so within that, they, they did and they hired me and I functioned in that role for two years. And I, I love that church, man. If it would not have been for that church, not only the transitioning of the kids coming into our home, but they came to us on March the 16th forever, um, uh, which was the day that the world shut down for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it would not have been for that church, we wouldn't have survived during the COVID, not because of COVID itself, but because mm-hmm. life changed for us drastically in that moment. Yeah. And so God's certainly placed us in that church for us. Um, but soon after that, um, the senior pastor that called me and hired me uh, had actually took a position at another church for about a month and a half span. I filled in as the pastor and had some other individuals I had been discipling fill in for the youth. And I was able to transition them until they hired the man they would have. Um, but in between that time period was COVID. And during COVID, uh, I was not only over the youth, but I was over the college age. And we did Bible studies for both of those. Uh, and in the college age, a lot of individuals that were coming to the college ministry lived in Columbus. Even though we were in Alabama, they lived in Columbus and they actually invited friends of those of theirs that were in the Air Force. And so I got to meet a lot of individuals that went to this college as well as served the in the United States Air Force um, that were younger and I got to meet them. And I began to pour into about five individuals that were college age and or in the Air Force. Uh, and what God began to do was not only develop a heart that I uh, did not previously have for the city of Columbus, Mississippi, because I hate I hated Mississippi in general. Hmm. Um, I've always joked with individuals that are from here that Alabama and Mississippi are in this foot race to be the worst state. Um, and so I did not enjoy Mississippi whatsoever. But as I was meeting people over there for coffee and breakfast and lunch and just pouring into their lives, he developed a love for that area. But more importantly, he began to show me a missing opportunity that churches, um, some churches were attempting to accomplish in our area, but many were just failing in. Um, and there's some churches in Columbus that do a wonderful job reaching the Air Force, but it's a terrible, it's, it's a hard job. And 
we're going to kind of, as you've kind of laid out our questions for tonight, mm-hmm. um, you said what has been the challenging so far. Yeah. It's the nature of reaching Air Force that's been hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why so many churches have not done it because it's difficult. It's hard. Um, and so that's how it all began of where to go. But when I was at Lighthouse and pastoring, we began to have this desire to plant. Um, we thought we would plant back in our hometown, but even when we had our kids, that even changed that because we were like, do we really want our kids to grow up in the town we grew up in? Hmm. Um, and we didn't. We, we really just did not. And um, and so God began to change our heart away from that. And then in ministering to these individuals, he started to change our hearts uh, towards that particular people group, but also to the city. And so that's why we decided to plant, but also why we decided to plant where we wanted to plant. Um, mm. And, you know, I can get in stats of how unchurched the Columbus, Mississippi area is. And it's just like anywhere else in the United States, it's 80 plus. And so there's certainly a need for churches outside of the military community side of things. Um, mm. And there's a lot of lost individuals that need to know Jesus. Um, but I had to war with the question of, do I plant a church or do I just join another church, maybe try to get on staff or pastor a church within the area uh, and try to work these things out over time. Um, but um, maybe this isn't the right approach to all things, but I do think that we have a limited time on earth and mm-hmm. in all reality, um, I'm just not the type to where I'm going to go into an established church and fight the battle of gaining leadership and the merit with individuals, because in the Southern Baptist world, it's just different Uh, gaining the leadership and the merit to be able to lead those people to a specific mission that would take five to 10 years. Um, And so I do think there's a practical reason for church planning, but just systematically like why waste 10 years? Right. Uh, and to be able to get the ability to do what you really need to do. Um, and then I'm also a little dogmatic at times. And so though I can be diplomatic, I'm not always diplomatic. Mm. And so there's a big chance I would be fired from an established church before 10 years got there. <laughs> and then also there's not very, very like, I don't know of but one church in our area that has elder led systematic verse by verse preaching of God's word. Mm. And so, there's other reasons why I just didn't theologically fit in any of the boxes within our area. Yeah. And you know, that's something that I feel called to do is church plant because like you said, in that area, there wasn't a church that was doing that, what you were doing, basically, you know, a reformed church preaching, you know, through the Bible, you know, administering the, the ordinary means of grace. So I see that that's a lack, especially in, yeah. in the United States, all, all over this country. And, where I'm at in Jersey. So that's part of my goal of seminary and to be trained and, and to come up in, in, you know, I'm part of the OPC. And so, so church planting for me is going to look a little different than it is for, for you. Uh, but, but we need more, more churches that are solid. Um, you know, even, even Baptist churches, you know, I won't hold that against you, but. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say there, there are some, I would fit more in the box of the Presbyterian area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't baptize babies. So, <laughs> You know? that's that's a topic for another show maybe i'll have you on because i did have somebody explain uh and you might have listened to that to pedo baptism so maybe i can have you on later to explain 
credo baptism, but, and, and I'll just listen, I'll just listen. And we'll, <laughs> but, but you, you said, you know, it's, it's a challenge in your area to, to reach those in the military, in the, in the air force. Uh, the church I used to go to, we had some military because we have McGuire air force base right near us, Fort Dix. So there's a mix of army and some air force. But what I would notice there in the years that I was there is they would often move away. So they'd be there for a few years and then move. And I, I know you, this church plant is recent, but it, have, have you seen that challenge yet that, you know, you're, you're feeding into a family, you're loving them, but you know, in a few years, they're going to be moved to another area. Yeah, certainly. Um, so just the background of our Air Force Base here, it's a training facility for pilots. So before COVID, they were pretty strict on the student pilots coming in would be here for about a year. And then instructor pilots would be here at tops three to four years. And then there would be, you know, supporting staff that their, their term would differ, you know, so, but the primary were student pilots and instructor pilots. COVID has slowed some of that down. Um, so, but it's speeding back up now that they've worked through some of those things. And so right now, you know, we get about a year and a half on average with one individual, one family, and then maybe three or four with those that are instructor pilots. Mm -hmm. um, we launched as a church in September. And before we launched, we sent out two guys. We commissioned our people. Um, and the reason why we commissioned our people um, is because the reality of it is what we see is us pouring into them here and now so they can reach those on the Air Force Base where they are, mm -hmm. but also because God would sovereignly place them places all over the world by the dime of the United States government. So therefore we commissioned them and in commissioning them, we pray over them. We allow, we help them find another church. We provide some resources for them. And before we even launched as a church, the two guys that we had that were air force or the, the only two we had commissioned out. And so uh, before we launched as a church, we had no military, no air force individuals whatsoever. <laughs> I had one guy that I was personally discipling, but he had not, uh, He's been coming to our full group meetings, but he's a young guy and um, he had not committed to coming on board with us when we launched. Um, but thankfully, now we have about uh, three families and two or three individual single guys uh, that are Air Force, some that are student pilots, some that are instructor pilots. And so it's challenging not only just to get into that community because it's already military bases are already such a, you know, secure place, but then when COVID hit, it locked it down even more. Yeah. Um, and so it's already hard to really get in there. And that's why our big emphasis is um, actually you read Matthew 28, 26 through, uh, 26 through 30. We read 28 through 30 every Sunday as we leave a church and we say, go and be sent. Mm -hmm. uh, now we do begin every church service with Matthew 11, 28 through 30, which is, come to me all who are heavily laden and burdened. Mm -hmm. And so we come together and rest and we go out and we're sent. Um, and so, but we, we do that because we want them to reach their community. I work for the post office. I work with about eight individuals. Um, if we want, if our church wanted to make an impact in those eight individuals' lives, how are we going to do that? By me being an example of the gospel and sharing the gospel verbally with them day in and day out. Mm. Uh, and we feel the same for the Air Force. So uh, we equip them to share the gospel and to be discipled and all of those things. And just this last week, one of my guys, uh, 
had the opportunity to share the gospel with two individuals. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday, one of the individuals came with him. And uh, actually, one individual he shared the gospel with after church, after he had already heard the gospel, he heard another dose of the gospel. Nice. And then the other individual he shared the gospel with when he was working out at the gym. And uh, that guy came to the church with him that Sunday. And then we, me and him and uh, that individual that does not know Jesus and another guy sat there and discussed some issues he has uh, philosophy wise or religious wise uh, and shared the gospel with him for about an hour and a half. Hmm. Um, and so there's certainly challenges just getting on the base and getting to know people. Um, but the other challenge too is, uh, well, there's two challenges really that stand out. One may sound like a challenge to most people, but it's becoming normal for us. It just was an adjustment for us. Uh, and that is like, we have people in our home three to four days a week. Hmm. Um, and it generally is them eating dinner with us. And if it's one person or two people that I'm discipling, we'll come to the shop in which I'm recording this in. And we would meet for discipleship for an hour or so. They'll eat dinner with my family. We'll go and we'll do our thing. Or even like Wednesday nights right now, we've got to where we invite multiple families from the church over to have dinner. They're in my home every Sunday night for community groups. Um, and so we have people in our home. Um, and the challenging aspect of that right now is that we are a church plant and I am bivocational and we are small and it is inflation that's hitting. So like hmm. feeding people is becoming challenging in some ways. But the largest challenge is seeing people go. Hmm. Uh, like I said, we commissioned off two people and man, my kids love those two guys. Hmm. Um, man, they love them. And we got to see one of them get married before he left. Hmm. They love him. They love his wife. And, you know, like seeing the heartbreak that they go through, but also feeling it myself and seeing my church feel that. And certainly we know that God is providentially sending them to California and Omaha uh, for his good and for for his will and for their good. But man, that doesn't make it easier to deal with the loss of people. Uh, now, I will say this. I have lost people in ministry for them leaving because they got mad or upset or they didn't agree with things. Um, that hurt, but this is a different kind of hurt. Like this is a, you have a child or you have a family member that moves away and you feel separated. The beautiful thing though, is where we are is some of the people we're seeing, we haven't seen this yet because we've only been in existence for about a year. Um, is many of these people have to come back to Columbus and be instructors. Mm. And so we'll see some similar faces come back and be a part of us in the future. And so it's certainly a difficult thing but it's a wonderful thing too. That's great. And that's great that you you open your house like that. It reminds me of uh, the Rosaria Butterfield book, the gospel comes with a house key where she, you know, talks about that. And that's like her, her husband's a pastor and that's like their lifestyle. Their doors always open. And, yeah. and, and that that's, that's great to shepherd people that way. Cause they see how you live. They, they see, you know, you're not just a talking head, you know, just telling people, you know, teaching the word of God, you're actually living it. They get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. So that's, that's a good thing. That's right. <laughs> not, not that you're ugly or anything, but <laughs> oh, no, I, I am ugly. And then I'm not a perfect father, no husband. And so, but it's good for people to see all sides of us. What, what, you know, what you've already discussed sounds like uh, great blessings, but is there any other blessings that, that have occurred or things that you, you didn't think would happen that, that have been just a, a great thing? 
Um, so yeah, I mean, there's certainly blessings, man. I, I get we we gather every Sunday before service and we pray for individuals. And so I know a lot of names that I don't know people of. And it's people they want to share the gospel with. And mm-hmm. when we gather for our community groups, it's the same thing. Uh, I hear a lot of stories of gospel conversations, man. And that's encouraging. Um, in discipleship, the first book I walk people through is called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. It's a nine books, nine marks books, um, publishing. Um, and I know you're Presbyterian, but you can sneak on that side every now and then. A little marked um, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a fantastic book and just explaining the gospel. And I want people through that. One, they need to know it better for themselves, but two, they need to share it. And so the being encouraging is like getting to hear the, who they're sharing the gospel with, who they want to share the gospel with, that God would soften hearts of individuals, that, that, um, you know, that God would pull people to himself and redeem them. Um, but the one thing that I would say is a blessing that I never thought of. And that is, I get to meet these people's families. Mm. Like, I'm a good Reformed Baptist guy, as I am. And so I smoke cigars from time to time. And uh, when that guy got married that I was telling you guys, everyone about, he, he got married. And I gave his father a cigar. And then, like, three weeks before he got married, they brought this couch. And they gave me this couch. So I bought it for them from them. And they're from New Jersey. And mm. uh, <laughs> they, they brought this couch all the way from New Jersey. And nice. it's in my living room in Columbus, <laughs> Mississippi. Um, and I get to meet their families. Like I, I've met um, pretty much everyone except for a few family members that are part of us that are, um, that are in our church. I've met almost all of their families and that's a blessing. Um, and the reason why it's a blessing is like, we don't think about it, but these individuals are like 23 to 25 years old, unless they're, unless they're instructor pilots. And like, man, they've sent their kids out in the, in the army, in the air force. And, um, you know, they worry about where their kids are, what they're getting from individuals and man, just seeing the joy. Um, I don't, they don't know me, but they know what we stand for as a church. And so seeing their joy that their children are in a church that is solid and biblical. And, and you know, that's a joy. Uh, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a blessing that I would have thought of. Right. Um, but it certainly has been a wonderful thing. And Jersey people, we're, we're great, right? <laughs> but anyway, what encouragement uh, would you give those who want to church plant? They feel the call uh, to to plant churches. They see a need for more churches, solid biblical churches. What encouragement would you give to them? Yeah, um, you know, one big thing is we have a lot of supporting churches, Um we didn't necessarily have a sending church, though the church I left supported me in the sense of they allowed me to stay on staff while I was doing the core group meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are financially and prayerfully supporting us now. Um, they didn't send us because they didn't quite understand it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And then they really don't have the leadership structure to send a church because um, that pastor was new to the church and all of those things. Um, but anyway, so um, the encouragement I would have is um, it's almost the same as that of somebody feeling called to ministry. It, there has to be an internal calling. You have to have an internal calling saying, I should do this, uh, that God is maybe um, pushing you in a certain direction of planting a church. Um, and in that, 
you can't you can't stop there. You have to have more than that. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the support of other churches, uh, primarily the church you're probably already serving at. Right. Uh, but if nothing else, other churches that see a vision and see the same thing that you're desiring and they know you personally, uh, that are willing to pour into you and support you. Um, and if those two things are there and from there is your, if your wife is supporting of this mission and then if you're at a place financially and with your children, that is possible. Uh, I would say trust God, um, go slow, trust God and really just pray. Mm. And I say that and I'm so early on that it's hard for me to say that. Uh, I've learned from mistakes, but I have. And one mistake I had is we did not pray enough as a core group or even as a church after we launched um, until not too late, obviously, but too far along in the process. Now, I personally prayed. My wife, my family, I know other other individuals would privately pray, uh, but corporately praying together, seeking the leadership of Christ is crucial. And so if you have an internal calling, an external calling, um, it doesn't always have to make sense. And you're going to have opposition out there. Uh, but I would encourage you to follow the leadership of the spirit. Um, if it's backed up in those two areas of life, um, because if you have godly men that are pulling into you and godly women that are pulling into your spouse, if you are married, um, then you have a biblical community around you they can say yeah you should do this or they say nope that's a dumb move you should not do this that's great that's good encouragement and especially the prayer that's something as christians sometimes we forget to do when, when we're doing things for the lord we forget to go to him it's you know especially you're playing a church it's god's church it's not it's not it's not your church right. you know it's it's his church and we are we are privileged to be part of that to you know, that Jesus would even say, go and make disciples like me. You, yeah. you want me to do that? So, so to rely on him, he's, he, and he says, and he finishes that Lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Like he's with us. Why wouldn't we pray to him, you know, and, and, you know, ask, you know, to guide me, direct me, send me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and then I would add one more, and this is maybe a case by case situation. Um, but before you plant a church, you really have to know why you're wanting to plant there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think way too often people just feel the need of planting a church. Um, and I certainly fell in that boat until God made it clear to me through uh, individuals and life circumstances. Um, but one thing while I was praying through that that really came to my mind was uh, in Philippians, which is where you Presbyterians like to camp out at on a few things. Um mainly baptizing babies, but anyway. Uh, well, maybe the Acts reference to Philippians. But anyway, it's Philippians chapter 1, and it's 12 through um, 13. And this is this. Is, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is really served the events of the gospel. So Paul is imprisoned at this point, um, and he's writing back to the church of Philippians. It has his heart, right? You have individuals that he shared the gospel with that come to know Christ. They plant these churches there. Um, and he's writing back to them. And he's really just, in the first few chapters, he's laying out what the gospel is. And he's going to tell them how to live in light of that. But he's just sharing his love for them. And he's encouraging them in his discouraging moment. 
and say, look, don't worry about me because God meant good for this. And this is, this is what he, this is what he was telling them in verse 13. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guards and to all of the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, I went through verse 14, not verse 13. Mm-hmm. The verse 14, he's saying, look, people are encouraged to preach the gospel in the midst of my arrest. Now, that's crazy to us. That's an upside down nature of the gospel is that one being arrested gives other people the encouragement to preach the gospel. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but 13 is kind of the heart of what we hold on to. Uh, at Redeemer Church in Columbus, because when you look at the Greek, it says the in, in, in the English translation, it says the whole imperial guard, but the Greek says uh, the whole imperial Praetorian, which essentially would be soldier, right? And so these individuals that Paul is saying that it is made known to them that his imprisonment is for Christ, or these guards that are coming in and out of his most likely almost like a house arrest at this point in his life coming in and out because he is arrested by the Roman government and knowing Paul, the way we know him throughout scripture, he's proclaiming the gospel to them day in and day out. But he goes on to say, it says, and the rest into all of the rest. So at this point in Paul's ministry, what it would be argued is not only did the Roman guards that he dealt with regularly knew why he was arrested and possibly sharing the gospel with him regularly, but the people that were even higher up in command knew exactly who Paul was because he was arrested for the gospel's sake. And the reason why I say all that is like for us, what we see in reaching Air Force community is that it's no different. It's that God has established a, a leadership within the society, not the Roman government as it was in Paul's day, but in the United States government is in our day. And God desires to change their lives and use those people to change the lives of other people. And really, when you think about Philippians, you know, uh, the first, the second convert we see in Philippi is a a soldier uh, for the Roman government. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, that's kind of as we were praying through it and, you know, we can easily take scriptures out of context. So I don't think you should find that verse that says like, I should plant an X spot because this is what this verse says. Uh, we can mess things up if we go about it that way. Uh, but I do think that as we are prayerfully seeking where to plant churches and how to plant churches, uh, if we're active in God's word and prayer, as we should be, then God's going to make things clear to us. And for me, I found that in Philippians. And so my prayer for anyone out there considering um, to plant churches, that God would do the same for them. That's great encouragement. And, and we see, you know, Paul writing from prison, arrested, worthy to be beaten so he can preach the gospel. And that's, you know, always what I, I want to do is, is preach the gospel. And, and I hope that one day, if we are threatened in the way Paul was in this country, that we will continue to preach the gospel because it's, it's a worthy message. And we know we, 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 we don't want to see people in hell. We want, we want them saved. We want them to, to know the salvation of the Lord, to to stop rejecting the God that they know. So would would you, with my listening audience right now, because you know there may be unbelievers, but even Christians, we need to hear that gospel message and never get tired of hearing it. So will you share the gospel with the listeners? Yeah, most certainly. Um, 
I would say the gospel um, is a message that is wildly misunderstood and misapplied to our lives. Um, and I would also say that it begins centuries ago when we see through Genesis chapter one that there is a creator, that God, uh, as we're going to refer to him, is the creator of all things that um, he's, he created by saying, let there be. And as he did that, everything that we know of in existence was created by God and for God and through Christ and all of those wonderful things. Um, and in seeing that God is our creator, it, I think it teaches us some things. It teaches us, um, and, and this is a phrase that I, I gathered from that book, mode, uh, What is the Gospel? Um, it's not really a phrase, but it's an acronym that one of the Air Force guys pointed out to me. And um, it's MODA, M-O-D-A, that were made by God, were owned by God, and were dependent upon God and were accountable to God. And the reality is God is not only a creator. Um, he's a creator that owns us because he owns us. We're dependent upon him. And because we're dependent upon him, we're accountable to him. The problem with us being accountable to God is that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God is without error, he is without fault. Um, we think often of the sinful or bad things that we do in our lives, if it be stealing or cheating, or if it's um, how we respond in certain situations, if it's coveting or lusting or whatever it may be. Um, all of us know within us that there's bad there, right? Um, God has none of those bad things. God is without error. He's without fault. Um, but God's not only perfect, but he's a righteous judge. And the reason why I say he's a righteous judge is because if he was just a judge, then he would be no different than crooked court systems that we see throughout our lifetime in our world. But he's a righteous good judge. So therefore, he has to judge sin for what sin is. And sin is what he says it is, that motto, right? It were made on dependent and accountable. Um, which is bad for us because Genesis also tells us in chapter two that there's two individuals named Adam and Eve that were created by God, but they were created by God to be representatives of humanity. And they sinned against God. God told them not to do something. They did the exact opposite. They did it and thinking that they could be like God. They took of the fruit. They ate the fruit and they sinned against God. And it wasn't just one small act. It was a treacherous act that caused them to not only spiritually die in the moment in which they were casted out of the garden, they physically died eventually. See, but scripture would also tell us in multiple locations, um, Psalm 53, um, Romans 3, that none of us are good either. It's not as if only Adam and Eve sinned. It's I have sinned. Daryl has sinned. And you can insert your name, listener. Uh, you have sinned. You have done terrible, wrong things that are contrary to the commands and laws of God. And so because of that, you and I are deserving of the wrath of God, which we would say as Bible-believing Christians is a eternal damnation in a place called hell that seems horrific because of fire and brimstone and suffering and pain. But reality of that is horrific. Because the God that loved and made you will have to pull his wrath out upon you for eternity and you will be separated from him forever. And if I stop there or if this podcast just magically pauses for whatever reason, you're just in terrible situation. Right? Mm. But God, before the foundation of the world, 
sovereignly and providentially knew that all of these things would come about. So in from the beginning of the world, he desired to save a people for himself. And his means of doing that was going to be in centuries later, promised through various men and even women throughout the Old Testament that there would be a time in which God would redeem his people by becoming sin himself. And so God took all flesh through the means of the son and he died upon the cross and in dying upon the cross, though we may not understand this moment exactly the way we would like to theologically, God poured his wrath out on his son. He looks away from his son. He pulls his wrath out on him because he doesn't see his son. He doesn't see his son's righteousness, his perfection that he lived 33 years for, but he sees our sin. So Christ received the death I was due, the death Daryl was due, the persecution I deserved, the persecution Daryl deserved. And in that, he was taken off the cross, prepared for burial, laid in a tomb, and stayed there for three days. And he stayed there for three days. Mm -hmm. The thing is, death wasn't made for Jesus. The reason why death wasn't made for Jesus is, and I think we see this throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, is that death was made for sin. Mm-hmm. Christ had no sin. So death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. And so what happens is he rose from the grave and he conquered sin. He conquered death. He's not already, it's, it's an already not yet situation here, but death is defeated mm-hmm. and he has conquered it all. But the reality is, even if I stop here, it's not personally good news for anybody. And so what I would say to that is there's two things that we have to do uh, in order to be saved. And all of this is by a byproduct of what God has already done. And if, if anyone comes to this conclusion, it's because God is leading them here. But what you have to do is believe that this is Jesus, the son of God. And by believing upon him, you put your faith in him and you repent of your sins and you turn away from them. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by all of that is simply that you have no other way of being saved but believing on Jesus. Not Jesus plus anything, Mm. because if it's Jesus plus anything, you're doomed to hell. And it's not Jesus minus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you trust in him to save and redeem you by that faith and that faith alone, you are saved. Not because of your faith, but because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. But you also are called to repent of your sin by turning away from it and waging war against that sin. Mm. Not that you won't ever sin again, but that you're going to change the battle in which you're fighting. You're you're no longer on the side of sin, practicing that sin, but rather you're on the side of God, waging war against that sin and desiring to conquer it and defeat it as Christ has done by trusting in Christ to not only save you, but to redeem you from your sin and by the spirit of God pouring into your life that you could conquer sin in some form or another in your life. And so if anyone's listening and they do not know this Jesus, two encouragements. One, you don't need a pastor to lead you to Christ. Um, you can simply pray to God and he, he knows who he's redeeming. And so there's joy in that. Um, and so you can pray and communicate with him, ask him to redeem and save you, place your faith in Jesus. And two, if you fall into that category, find a pastor of a church 
at this point, I would say look for a solid church, but you don't know what a solid church is. So find any church at this point and just go and talk to that pastor, preferably a male, and, and, and communicate with them that you desire to be saved. Um, or you can simply send a message to Daryl and he will find out where you live and say, hey, you should go find this pastor. And so um, that would be my encouragement to anyone that may or may not have truly come to Christ until this. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yes, we need to keep hearing that and keep preaching that. So Christian, tell somebody about Christ. Tell them about the eternal life. Like you don't have to be a pastor to share the gospel. Like James said, like just share it and deliver the mail. That's what we're doing. We're delivering a message and plant the seeds and trust God to, to make it grow. So James, one more question for you before we go. And this is the one you've been waiting for. This is, you've been looking forward to this question here. The fun question about Nicholas Kim Coppola. Now you said you've listened to the show. So obviously, you know, who Nicholas Kim Coppola is. So tell, tell the listening audience who Nicholas Kim Coppola is. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. So here's the question and you've heard it before and I'm a little scared of what you're going to say because, because you, you kind of gave me a, a little uh, preview of, yeah. So anyway, I'm just going to ask it. <laughs> do it, do with it what you will. If a Nicholas Kim Coppola, Nicholas Cage movie was real life, what character would you be? And you can't be anybody that Nicolas Cage is playing. Okay. So you're going to have a dilemma with this question when Nicolas Cage comes out with the Nicolas Cage movie. Just so you know. Um, and it's in the works. So you, I think it's you actually, I think it's, I think it's already out. I think it's, it's out. Oh, is it already out? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, anyway, so I'll, I'll say this to the listener. Two things first. One, if you don't want to judge me, just stop listening now. Okay. <laughs> um, just hold on to the previous seven or six or seven questions and skip this one. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I just can't stand Nicholas Cage. I think that <laughs> he is uh, one of the worst actors that there is. And so I don't have Twitter, so you can't at me, but you can find me on Facebook. If, if you have a disagreement there, you're welcome to share it. You're going to be wrong, but he is the worst actor that I can think of. That's mm-hmm. a, technically an A-list actor uh, because of that. I have a disdain for Nicolas Cage. Primarily, I thought he did a terrible job in the um, Ghost Rider movies. Like, horrific, <laughs> horrific job. Um, and, you know, he had his good moments. You know, certainly he did. Um, so my answer to the question is very simply, Nicolas Cage is in the list of many actors that almost appear to be, they want to be the most... They want to be the highest ranking actor that died in movies that they were in. <laughs> and so I watched this compilation video, even today, yesterday, actually, um, of these movies that he was in and he died in. And some by natural, natural cases and some by John and various different things. And so I would say this is an ambiguous answer, but is there, if any movie there is where Nicholas Cage deserved to die. I would be the guy that did that. That's what I would say. <laughs> okay. That was the most original, wow. honest answer. Well, not, not everybody else is honest too, but, but from the, from an opposing view, that's the first opposing view of Nicholas Cage movie. But I think it, a little bit, I think we all kind of think 
that Nicolas Cage isn't really that good of an actor, but you know, I still, I still love him. I still but love him. He's fantastic. He's in fantastic movies. That's that's what that's what I don't understand about it all. It's like he's in really good movies, and like the bad thing is, some of the best movies they were in was the Natural Treasure movies, and it's like, yeah, because I think they were meant to be cheesy to some extent. Yeah, and I never watched the Lost but Left Behind movies. So I don't know how he was in that. Yeah, I didn't. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but, but but thank you for that answer. And you might have heard the episode. Somebody told me, and I've repeated this before, that he was originally asked to be in Lord of the Rings, and <laughs> that would have just. <laughs> That that franchise would not have gone as well. So coincidentally, uh, no, it would not have. But the individual that dies in the second Lord of the Rings, uh, I forgot which one it was. It was doing the majestic fight before Frodo and them get on the boat to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's actually one of the other actors that have died a ton in movies. Apparently, he was him in and Bruce he was, Willis he was, and he, somebody else. He was in National Treasure. That that that, that actor. Yeah, I forget his name, but yeah, he was in National Treasure. He was the first one. He was trying to, you know, steal the Declaration of Independence. I never, I never made that connection. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, you don't podcast anymore, but you do post your sermons. So, where can people go to listen to your sermons? Yeah, so um, our podcast or sermons on any kind of podcast catcher that you may have, and so you can find those by going to whatever your podcast schedule is and type in Redeemer Church dash Columbus. Uh, that's because there's a thousand Redeemer churches. And so we had it's a signature. There he is. My son's saying hi. Hey. Hey, buddy. Well, definitely check out his sermons. I listen to him and it's a blessing to listen to him. Encouragement. Uh, and you will hear good preaching on, on those uh, posts from Redeemer. And, so any anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? No. Um, okay. And now, if you listen to this point, you have judged me for my answer number eight. Just forget about that and maybe re-listen to the first seven questions. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, Pastor James D. White, thank you for coming on, and thank you for all your encouragement. You know, I reach out to you several times on Facebook, and you're always right there to pray for me and encouraging me. So thank you for that. And listeners out there, definitely check out his his sermons. Pray for him and the church plant and his family uh, with the baby on the way. And here's my baby talking right now. (laughs) So until next time, well, check out all the podcasts in the Christian Podcast Community, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. So until next time, I pray you continue to seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace and drive safely. I am ugly. I, I, I just can't stand Nicholas Cage and he will find out where you live.